Section twelve of Ruth of Boston. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ruth of Boston, a story of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, by James Otis. Section twelve. Master Pormont's School. Five years after we were settled in this town of Boston, a school was set up for young people, and such children of the Indians as wished to attend were allowed to do so freely without payment, although every white man was forced to pay each year a certain amount, either in money or in goods, for the hire of the teacher, who was Master Philemon Pormont. It must not be supposed that we children knew nothing whatsoever of reading, writing, or of doing small sums in arithmetic up to this time. A certain portion of each day did my mother or father teach me my lessons, and when Master Pormont opened his school I could write as fair a hand as I do now, which seems fortunate, for he was not skilful in teaching the art of writing. As for myself, I truly believe that had my first lesson in the use of a quill come from him, I had never known how to form a letter, because of his being exceeding harsh in his ways. A child who failed in doing, at the first attempt, exactly as Master Pormont thought fit, he was given a sharp blow over his knuckles of the hand which held the quill, and Ezra Whitman was punished in this manner so severely on a certain day, that it was nearly a week before he was able to use his fingers. Even then, the teacher declared that if the blow had been sharper, the boy would, before the pain had ceased, have known more about that which he was endeavouring to show him. The school was first set up in the house that had been built by Josiah Plastow. If you remember, he was one who had been under the discipline of the court, and it was forbidden any should call him, save by the name of Josias. Feeling that he had been harshly dealt with, Josias left Boston, and went into Plymouth to live. Therefore did his dwelling belong to the town, according to the law. It was made into a schoolroom, by having benches set up around the four sides, in such a fashion that the scholars faced a ledge of puncheon planks, which was built against the walls, to be used when we needed a desk on which to write, or to work out sums in arithmetic. Master Pormont sat upon a platform in the centre of the room, where he could keep us children well in view, and woe betide the one who neglected his task, for punishment was certain to follow. SCHOOL DISCIPLINE There were times when it seemed to me as if Master Pormont had eyes in the back of his head, for once when I ventured to ask Susan Freeman for the loan of her quill, while he was looking in the opposite direction, I was speedily called to an account for misbehavior. Then it was he handed me a knife he carried in his pocket, and further command was not needed. I knew full well that I must go outside and cut a stout switch for use upon my own body, and if peradventure I had been so foolish as to bring back a small one, the first would have to be used to switch me with until it was broken after which it was my duty to go for another of more weight. My hands smarted a full hour after the punishment had been dealt out, and there were such swellings upon them when I got home, 
that mother tied both up in linen, after besmearing them plentifully with ointment. It was not always that Master Pormont used a switch upon a child who had been foolish enough to speak with his neighbor, for he had what were called whispering sticks, which were most disagreeable to wear, and caused a great deal of pain, so Susan said, but as for myself, I was never forced to bear such punishment. These whispering sticks were stout bits of wood from the oak tree, which could not readily be broken by the teeth, and were put into a child's mouth as you thrust a bit into the mouth of a horse, after which two ends were bound securely back of the neck. Thus the unfortunate one's jaws were stretched wide open, oftentimes for a full hour. OTHER TOOLS OF TORTURE It seemed to me then, and does even now, that Master Pormont spent more time devising means of punishment than in teaching us our lessons, for he had as many torture-tools of various kinds as would have served to make a heavy load for either of us children. That which the lads most feared was the flapper, and truly it was well contrived to cause pain. It was a piece of stout deer-hide, or thick leather, four or five inches wide, and twice as long, with a hole in the centre about as large as the end of my thumb. One end of this was tied to a stout handle, and, when applying it, Master Pormont forced the child who had disobeyed the rules of school to lie over on one of the benches in such a manner that he could come at the lad's bare skin. When the flapper was laid on vigorously, at each blow the flesh would puff up through this hole in the centre of the leather, in a way most painful to behold. There is little need for me to say that Master Pormont had a number of dunces' caps made of bark from the birch-tree, on which were painted different inscriptions to suit the offence, such as, Stupid Boy, for one could not readily answer the questions he asked concerning the day's lessons a silly dunce, to fit one who was slow in learning, a wicked liar, for some lad who had not told the truth. In fact, I cannot set down all the names which Master Pormont had written on these dunces' caps, and there was hardly an hour during the day when at least one of them was not in use. That contrivance which he had for children who would not sit quietly on their benches was seemingly the most innocent, and yet— as I know to my sorrow, caused a vast amount of pain. It was a small square of puncheon-plank, with a single stick in the centre as a leg, and on this the culprit was forced to sit, balancing himself or herself as best might be by the feet, without being allowed to touch the hands to anything. As I thus set down the poor description, it seems a harmless thing, and a punishment too mild to meet a grave offence, but yet, if you were to try to balance yourself on this unipod, as Master Pormont called it, for the space of an hour, every joint in your body would cry aloud with pain. As for myself, I know that more than once I would rather have fallen headlong from this unipod than have endured the torture a single moment, even had I not known that more severe punishment would follow such a disregard of the rules of school difficult lessons. The first lesson which Master Pormont gave to those of us children who could read and write fairly well was from the Latin grammar, 
and he required that we have at our tongue's end within the first day the different forms of no less than six verbs, and this regardless of the fact that we had never so much as put our eyes on the language before. Do not let it be understood that I am in any way complaining of whatsoever Master Pormont did, for although I could not understand the reason for many of the lessons at that time, there can be no question but that so wise a man as he knew what was best suited for us children. But surely, to Susan and me, who knew no more of arithmetic than was to be found in the multiplying, dividing, and adding of small sums, it was most grievous work to stumble over such terms as fret, tear, and net, when we had no idea of their meaning. Nor would Master Pormont give us such information, claiming that we should seek it from our parents, or from other people in the town, to the end that if it was gained by much labor, we would the longer remember it. OTHER SCHOOLS to me it was quite a relief when dame schools were established, and by this term I mean schools that were taught by women. Some of our more tender-hearted people believed Master Pormont's methods were too harsh for the younger children. Therefore, after he had kept school one year, Mistress Sowerby, who was the widow of Master Sowerby, who had been assistant in the church at Yarmouth in England, was hired at the wage of six pounds a year to teach the girls and the smaller boys. She did not appear to think it necessary that young ladies should know very much concerning Latin grammar or arithmetic, but spent her time showing us how to spin towel-strings or to knit hose or stockings. Because of the schools having been set up in her own home, we could learn how to cook and to weave and to knit, not only for our own use, but to sell, and any kind of knitting work done well was in great demand. When I could do herringbone or fox and geese patterns, working them, moreover, into mittens or stockings, I felt exceeding proud. Indeed, we had among us one girl who knit into a single pair of mittens the alphabet and a verse of poetry in four lines. Mistress Sowerby was most careful in teaching us the use of the quill, for she claimed that the young girl, or young woman, who could make easy, flowing letters, need not consider herself ignorant, even though she failed in arithmetic, or was unable to spell correctly the words she set down. End of section 12